Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I'm excited to discover what is the ultimate impact investment. Owen Barrett has been on the cutting edge of the sustainability movement for the last decade. He's installed megawatts of solar and storage and consulted Fortune 100 companies on energy efficiency and renewable energy strategies. Collectively, he's managed and or installed over 250 million worth of clean technology projects and developments. So Owen, before we get into sustainable real estate, tell us about a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, thank you for the intro. I've always been a bit of an entrepreneurial person. And in my first corporate job, I had quite a few side hustles. And I was trying to fundraise for one of them. And a mentor of mine told me to my face that he loved the business model, but he does not invest in part-time entrepreneurs. And I took that to heart because I kind of knew that I was at an inflection point in my career where if I really wanted to try and start my own company and pursue my vision, I had to quit a corporate job and go full-time into being an entrepreneur. And so I think within a month, I quit. The rest is history. So you said you did have some streams of income going on. So I guess you did have some backup, but perhaps not a whole lot. So you just kind of jumped in there or how was that transition there? Oh, I was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like a lot of people, I was very optimistic about my ability to generate revenue on my own. It took me 18 months to make any money. I sold my entire 401k to live for 18 months. I thought at times that I was making a terrible decision. You know, what have I done? I should go back to corporate America. But it just, it took longer than I wanted it to and that I thought it would. And it was the best decision of my life to quit the corporate job, get out of the rat race. I did it relatively early. I've had way more financial success doing my own thing. I've had more fun. I can pursue everything that I'm interested in rather than kind of pursue what I'm told to pursue. And so it's been great since, but it was definitely terrifying at the beginning. Yeah, we all are oftentimes a little bit overly optimistic when jumping into new endeavors. I've certainly been there. And it is frightening and scary. Well, let's get into real estate and sustainability. You say that uh, internal rates of return of 20% are really possible with massive environmental uh, positive impact. So tell us about that. Yeah, I think we're at a point now where there's no longer a trade-off between doing the right thing and improving your returns or at least keeping them the same. You know, so if we look at just solar, the cost of solar has decreased 90% over the last decade. So it is still an expensive CapEx project, but it's 90% less than it used to be 10 years ago. And so when we incorporate solar into our projects, and that's just one of the efficiency or renewable projects that that we look at for kind of our acquisitions, it makes our deals better. 
And I've gotten pushback from a lot of sponsors in the industry, a lot of operators, a lot of owners that say, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in Texas. It doesn't work in Florida. You know, Give me a laundry list of excuses and reasons why it doesn't work. But it adds multiple points to our overall IRR when we do very simple things like install solar. So I think we're at a, a point at which electricity prices are high enough. The cost of implementation is low enough. And we see it every day, adding value to our projects. I think the industry is a little bit behind adopting it, but I think we're going to start to see a change over the next few years, hopefully. Well, tell us a little bit about your model in terms of your syndication processes. Are you looking at value-add properties that are existing and adding the environmental impact processes to that? So just take us through, in order for us to really understand your model, just take us through a typical acquisition. Yeah, so we do value add. We kind of couple traditional value add with what I'll call environmental value add. We do have a slightly different approach than a lot of sponsors. We are long-term owners, 10 plus years, but we do buy properties where we're using a bridge loan on the acquisition and we can lift NOI so much that in the refinance into agency debt around year three, we can return 75 to 100% of initially invested equity back to our investors. And then they stay on as owners and enjoy cash flow with little to no skin in the game. And so for us, we do it for a couple of reasons. I think one, when people are buying and selling communities every three years, it's not good for tenants. And so we want to be mindful to the tenants in our communities. And two, from a long-term wealth creation standpoint, if you can repurpose the same capital into multiple deals and continue earning streams of income rather than turning them off and turning them on every time we sell a property, I think it's better in the long run and our investors would tend to agree. But so we look for a traditional value add with a lot of environmental upside. So we attack sort of the revenue side to NOI with regular renovations and rent increases. And then we attack the expense side of NOI with solar and other energy efficiency upgrades. And what that does is it grows NOI so quickly in such a short amount of time that when we do an agency takeout, we can usually return 100% of capital to our investors. So you mentioned solar. There's all kinds of different solar applications in terms of some are just uh, water heaters. Some are the entire aspect of converting everything to electricity from the stoves, the heaters, the water heaters, and so on and so forth. What are you talking about when you're talking about solar applications? Yeah, so we're kind of right in the middle. Unfortunately, it's cost prohibitive for us to electrify a building that was not built that way. So we take a building as is. There's usually large electrical loads to common areas. A lot of times we go after master metered properties that have chillers and boilers. So there's a large owner paid electricity line item there. But we leave, leave everything that's not electrified. So if there's gas stoves, they stay gas. If there's a gas boiler, it stays gas. And then we offset the optimal amount of on-site energy consumption with rooftop photovoltaic solar. And the reason that I said the optimal amount is because it's different market to market. So in Texas, for instance you're not really compensated for any electricity that you export to the grid. But in 
California and Arizona and Florida, you are. So what that means generally is that the size of our system, our solar system in Texas will be about half of what it would be in Arizona. And, and again, it's just because of kind of the nuances in that state. But yes, we're kind of right in the middle of sort of the two ends of the spectrum that you mentioned. Yes, that's interesting. I, I think in North Carolina, there is resale, but it's not a dollar to dollar resale. I think you have uh, you purchase off the grid at retail and we sell back at wholesale. Yeah. So not really a fair trade off uh, there. <laughs> And there's other stipulations. Duke Energy has a total monopoly here in this area. And of course, Duke is not particularly friendly to solar in general, but they are specifically not friendly to rooftop solar. And I'm sure it it varies from state to state. Regardless of that, there are some tax advantages to, to solar installation. And I'm sure that varies widely from state to state uh, as well. But there are national incentives as well. Is that correct? Yeah. There's a federal tax credit that applies to solar installed in any state. And that's this year, at least, it's 26% of the gross cost of the installation. There is language in DC to increase that back to 30%, which is what it was originally. There's also language to change it from a tax credit to a direct payment, which would really be nice for us. But aside from that, there are some local incentives, depending on the utility that you're in. Encore Energy in Texas is a great example. They pay people, they pay them cash to install solar. I think Colorado Springs is another one. And there may be a few other, but it's great for W2 investors into our projects because depreciation, it helps offset your passive income, but it doesn't help offset your W2 income. But a tax credit does. So when W2 investors invest into our projects, not only are they getting passive income, they're also getting a fairly large tax credit in year one that will offset their W2 income. So people have been pretty receptive of that component of solar, even if they don't support solar or sustainability more generally. Well, you had mentioned that you do other sustainable innovations with your acquisitions outside of uh, solar. So what are some of the other environmental friendly things you're doing? Yeah, we do a lot of low flow, low flush water fixtures and toilets. That seems to be getting more commonplace. A lot of sponsors are doing that. We have some interesting technology that will de-aerate water lines. So usually when you're charged for water, you're charged for the water and the air that goes through the meter. So if you de-aerate it, you're only charged for the water. So that doesn't actually save water, but it does cut water costs pretty substantially. We look at any optimizations we can do with the HVAC system. Most of our properties are on chiller boilers. So there's kind of a wide range of what you can do. We've looked at electrifying gas boilers because then we can offset it with solar. And then the lighting is always kind of a low hanging fruit, you know, upgrading incandescent and metal halide lights to LED, fluorescent lights to LED. So really the, the full gamut we look at, what we actually do more depends project to project and how those individual measures are going to affect the overall kind of project level IRR. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. 
Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Have you ever looked into utilizing wind in any way, shape, or form? Or I haven't. We haven't. The one kind of out there idea that we did look at was converting a chili boiler system to geothermal, which I got really excited about, but it's just it's just cost prohibitive to retrofit it's that system. I think for new construction, everybody should be looking at geothermal. If they're not, it's just it's a really great technology and it's just much better suited for new development. Well, you are probably one of the few multifamily sponsors to actually incorporate environmental friendly technologies into your overall plan and you're getting the same or better internal rates of return. How long have you been doing this? The team has been doing it about 10 years. So we have sort of a kind of a division in our team between those that are experienced in clean technology and those that are experienced in multifamily acquisitions and operations. And so we've, together we've been doing it for about 10 years. And so your model is different, not only in the sustainability, but you had talked a little bit about the long-term hold as opposed to the typical three to five-year hold. You shoot for 10 years. Why just 10 years? Why don't you go for 20 years? The simple answer is it's because my Excel model only goes out to 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Realistically, it probably will be longer. I mean, in a perfect scenario, if we can return all of our equity to our investors and they're still earning an 8 to 12% cash on cash return, that honestly is infinite at this point because they have their cash back. Why would we sell that product? Sure, we could make more money if we sell it in a single year than, than the cash flow just from normal operations. but to us, it's not about making you know a 2x multiple on every single property. It's building up consistent revenue streams year after year and stacking them on top of each other. So we model 10 years because I think it's long enough to show we're different, but it's short enough for investors to still wrap their heads around. If we show 25-year projections, I think we'd lose everybody's attention. But yeah, I mean, we're not planning on selling at year 10 just because our model says we will. Do you plan on refinancing to take cash out? Oh, yeah. You do that. Okay. Yeah. So we, so we usually make acquisitions with bridge loans and then refinance between years two and four. And that's when we return most or all, most to all of the equity. But then we'll repeatedly refinance when it makes sense to pull more cash out. And, and the really important part is that investors, ownership is never diluted. So if they own 3% of a project from day one, if we give them their equity back at year three, they still own the same percent. If we give them more cash back in year 10, they still own the same percent. So it's really a way to help investors build up long-term cash streams as well. Sounds like a really excellent model. I really wonder why others are not doing it. I'm like you. I just I don't really quite understand the three to five year model other than the fact that they're pulling cash out, but you can do that with refis. So I don't quite get the turnover hysteria. Well, so where are you operating? You mentioned Texas and Arizona. Are there other places throughout the country that you've found to be beneficial for your model? Yeah, for now, we're definitely focused in Texas and Arizona. We are kind of exploring some other markets. 
really for us, it depends on number one, it has to be a strong real estate market, it has to have strong macroeconomic trends to support kind of the underlying real estate acquisition. But then on top of that, we have to layer solar rules and regulations. So Texas is a great real estate market. It's not a great solar market. Phoenix is a great real estate market and a great solar market, but it's, I would say, more competitive than DFW. So it's harder to find deals there. And we are starting to explore a couple markets on kind of in the Southeast, but we haven't made any acquisitions there yet. Well, in terms of uh, climate change, Arizona looks like it may be a place that is going to hurt substantially, but that isn't scaring you off from investing there. I think it's interesting. I live in San Diego now. My wife and I always talk about where we're going to move in three years when my stepson graduates high school. And climate change is on the forefront of that list. Where is going to be least affected? And you know, I can tell you I've spent more time on this than probably everybody else I know. Everywhere is going to be affected. There's pockets of the Northeast and pockets of the Northwest that will probably be less affected. But I think in reality, I think everywhere is going to have to adjust. I think, I mean, I hate to make claims, but I I think at some point we're going to look to desalination to solve the water crisis on a more macro level. It's happening a little bit in California, it's happening a little bit internationally, but places like Phoenix, places like Texas, I think water is going to be the big factor 10, 20 years down the road. And if we're not doing desalination at a massive scale, I don't think, I mean, San Diego will be wiped off the map. We're at the tail end of the Colorado River. So we're going to have to figure it out too. So I do think it will be affected, but I don't think that nothing's going to happen. So that's part of the reason that we're not scared away by it. Well, in terms of desalination, which I think you're right on that, I think we're going to have to do more of that. A big concern in the environmental industry is the supply of lithium and other aspects of batteries. Couldn't desalination be used for lithium uh, development? Oh, man. I'm kind of going outside my area of expertise here. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think, you know, to your point, I think what a lot of people are going to have to start thinking of is what is the second use of everything? So a lot of you know, silicone and PV modules on people's roofs, on our roofs of our, of our apartments. What are we going to do with all that in 20 years when it's kind of at the end of its life? You know, cars that have lithium batteries, what's going to happen to those lithium batteries in 10 years, 20 years when those are at the end of their life? And so I don't know a lot about how to create this on the front end. I've never really been in that industry, but I do think that we're going to have to start more seriously thinking about second use of a lot of the things that were a lot of the technology that we're coming out with now. Interesting concept there. Well, Owen, tell our viewers and listeners what you have to offer them and how it is they can get in touch with you. Yeah, I'd say for anybody interested in feeling good about how they invest money and make money, I consider our opportunities the best impact investments out there. There's tangible environmental benefits, there's tangible societal benefits, and there's you know 15 to 20% IRRs, which is higher than, than industry norms. So I think we have really fantastic opportunities that people can feel good about. And we're, we're excited to just make more acquisitions as, as it makes sense um, and hopefully grow our investor base and just get everybody really excited about thinking a little bit, le- a little bit differently about... Um, you know, traditional real estate investments and multifamily syndication. 
Well, those are just really exciting possibilities to me. Well, you can get hold of Owen at znecapital.com. That is his website. And his email is owen at znecapital.com. And we'll have that information in our show notes as well there. Well, Owen, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life and how did you come through that time and what did you learn from the experience? Oh, man, I think just going back to the beginning of the show, you know, when I first left my corporate job, I thought I'd have instant success like a lot of entrepreneurs do. It took me 18 months to make any revenue at all. And I think that was pretty enlightening to me because it, it made me kind of have this central hypothesis as to why a lot of entrepreneurs fail. Because it's not necessarily that they have a bad idea because at the end of the day, we had a great idea. But it just takes longer. Everything takes longer than you expect. So I find myself in kind of interesting positions now where occasionally I'm giving advice to current entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs. And my best piece of advice for everybody is just plan for everything to take two to three times longer (laughs) than you think it's going to because it almost always does. Yeah. Was it Bill Gates? I'm not sure who said that. We generally overestimate what we can do in a year's time and underestimate what can be accomplished in 10 years' time. I think that's pretty typical. Well, what was it that you had, uh, you said you had a great idea. What, what was the concept that you jumped out of your corporate W-2 and into your entrepreneurial endeavor? So it, it was in Cal- it was very California-centric. In California, clean technology is the fastest growing job market in the state. And right around the time that I quit my job, there was a new bill proposed in California that that closed a sales tax loophole that would generate $500 million a year for the state. And the state decided to earmark that money for energy efficiency and renewable energy in public schools, school districts, community colleges, charter schools. And what I thought was fascinating was that nobody had connected the dots between Clean technology being the fastest growing industry. So fantastic job opportunities, a way to get kids excited about real world experiences. Then you throw on top of that kind of a dwindling pipeline of skilled labor, which is happening not only in California, but it's happening nationwide. The rising cost of college. And then the final straw was that these clean technology projects were being funded by the state on the schools. So schools were getting solar installed. They were getting their lights changed LED. But students weren't learning about it as it was happening at their school. So we developed a model to implement these projects, but also create a pipeline into the skilled trades through the projects. And it just it just took a long time to get off the ground. It was hard working with schools. They're not the fastest moving organizations ever. They're not the most innovative organizations ever. But once we got one, you know, we quickly grew to, I think, 42. And so it happened fast, but it definitely took a long time to get there. Yeah, I could see how that would be a lot of organizational endeavors to work through to get that in operation. I'm actually surprised that you got it together in 18 months. That's quite an undertaking from developing anything from scratch, but something totally new is even more challenging. So uh, you did a good job in 18 months there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Well, Owen, it's been a pleasure, and I'm really excited about the information you've shared with us, and I hope to incorporate these in my projects as I go forward myself here. Uh, So thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.